This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now it's time to talk about voter suppression. In many states, the question in this election is not just about which candidates will win, but about which voters will be able to cast a ballot in the first place. The fight over voting rights in the midterms is a reminder that elections are not only about who is running, they're also about who is allowed to vote and about which officials are trying to stop people from voting. For comment and analysis, we turn to Ari Berman. He's a senior reporter for Mother Jones, and he's the author of the award-winning book, Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. Ari Berman, welcome back. Hey, John. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Well, let's start with Georgia, which has the most outrageous situation. Tell us about the situation there with the Secretary of State who's in charge of enforcing the state's laws about who can vote. Yeah, so I I think it's outrageous both in terms of the laws themselves, but then also the fact that the Secretary of State is running for governor and essentially overseeing his own election at a time when it seems like he is enforcing policies in a way that will benefit uniquely his campaign. Um, But this issue has really come in the news of late because in Georgia, 53,000 people were put on this pending registration list. Uh, And what they were told was that their registration documents didn't perfectly match in terms of state databases. So Georgia has a system called the exact match system. And if your middle name, if you have a hyphen, if you have an apostrophe, if, if that name on the voter registration list does not exactly match state databases, you can be blocked from registering to vote. And what that means is you can actually still vote if you show up in person and have the right ID, but you can't vote absentee and you're also sent a letter from the state telling you your registration is pending. So it's a very confusing situation. This is a very tight race. And Brian Kemp, the uh, Republican candidate for governor, has also just put in place a number of other very restrictive policies. He has purged 1.5 million people, which is a huge number of people, from 2012 to 2016. Uh, Georgia has closed uh, 214 polling places in the last four years. Uh, There is a bunch of stuff the state has done to try to make voting harder, and he has really been the architect of that policy, and now he's running for governor. Of course, these... These policies have been challenged in court by the NAACP and the ACLU and a coalition of other voting rights groups. What do you know about the challenges? 
So there's been a bunch of challenges. The problem is that it's very difficult to challenge these laws a few weeks before the election um, because even if you get a good remedy, there's no real certainty that this is going to filter down to voters. But there have been a bunch of lawsuits. One lawsuit was filed over the fact that Georgia was rejecting ballots if the signature on the absentee ballot didn't match the signature on voter registration forms. They actually won a preliminary injunction against that, but then the Secretary of State has appealed it. So, so that's working its way through the courts. They've also challenged this exact match system uh, where uh, people are being blocked from registering because their signatures don't exactly, their voter registration information doesn't exactly match their uh, information on, on state databases. So there's been a bunch of litigation, but I don't think the courts are going to really resolve this before the election completely. So I think it's really important to get the word out to people uh, who, who have been sent these, these pending registration forms that they can vote. And hopefully the directive is also laid down to county election officials not to toss ballots um, because it's a very chaotic situation there. We've been talking just about Georgia, but in terms of the big picture, how many states have imposed new restrictions on, on voting? Which states are they? The, the big picture is that 24 states have imposed new restrictions on voting. So things like tougher voter ID laws or closing polling places or purging the voting rolls or making it harder to register to vote. Uh, all of those kind of things we're seeing play out now. Uh, and there are a bunch of states that have close elections, uh, places like uh, Georgia and Wisconsin and Ohio, and also some states that are red states but that have competitive elections, places like Kansas and North Dakota, which are wouldn't be competitive in a presidential year but have close races for governor and for Senate and U.S. House. So if you really look at the map, virtually every state that has a new restriction on voting also has uh, some sort of competitive race, whether it's for the, go- for the governor or for the senator or for the House. In these 24 states, let me just ask, are these controlled by Republicans or Democrats, the 24 states that have imposed new restrictions on voting? They virtually are all controlled by Republicans. Uh, this has been a, a movement that has been almost entirely uh, done by the Republican Party. I think they've tried to get an electoral advantage, and I think what they've, what they've tried to do is pass policies that will narrow the slice of the Democratic electorate to make it harder for younger voters, for first-time voters, for lower-income voters, for minority voters to be able to cast a ballot. And where the impact of these laws really show up is if you have very close elections. And it looks like we have a lot of really close elections going on in 2018. One of those close elections is the Senate race in North Dakota, where the Democrats' most vulnerable Senate incumbent is running for re-election, Heidi Heitkamp. What's the situation with Republican-imposed voter restrictions in North Dakota? The situation there is that the Supreme Court in October, so just a few weeks before the election, upheld a new voter ID law from that state uh, that could prevent uh, 70,000 people from voting in North Dakota, including 5,000 Native Americans, which is very significant because Heidi Heitkamp only won her first election in the Senate by 3,000 votes. And the issue there is that the way the law is written, you have to have a residential street address on your ID for it to count. But many Native Americans in North Dakota live on reservations where they don't have a street address. And that means that their tribal IDs aren't going to be valid for voting. So there's this crazy scramble underway in North Dakota 
for the tribe to try to assign people addresses that they never needed before and then give that information to election officials to have their votes counted. Um, but it's still very unclear uh, whether enough people are going to get these forms of ID and if the, these uh, IDs are going to be counted. And so this, this really could swing uh, one of the most important Senate races in the country. And if Heidi Heitkamp loses, it's, it's almost impossible for Democrats to retake the Senate. And we have to talk about Texas, Beto, the Democrats' most exciting candidate, challenging Ted Cruz. If Latinos in Texas voted, Texas would become a blue state. It would become California. It's that simple. But in 2016, there were 3 million unregistered voters of color in Texas, including 2.2 million unregistered Latinos and three quarters of a million unregistered African Americans. How much of that is just the failure of these minority groups to participate in, you know, the democratic process? How much of it has to do with the voting rights situation? Well, a, a big part of it has to do with Texas's voting laws themselves. And a big part of why Texas remains a red state is because it has such restrictive voting laws. And it has the most restrictive voter registration law in the country. And the way it works is if you want to register voters, you actually have to be deputized by the state of Texas, uh, like you're uh, an amateur policeman or something. And then you can only register voters in the county you're deputized in. And this is a really big problem because Texas has 254 counties. So if you want to go from county to county registering voters, you have to be deputized in every single county, which makes voter registration drives virtually impossible. So even though voter registration has increased in Texas in this election, partly because of the excitement in the Senate race, there are still an enormously large number of unregistered voters of color who theoretically, if they were registered and voted, would help Beto O'Rourke big time. But the fact is they're not registered, so they can't participate. So he's working with an electorate that is far more favorable to Ted Cruz than the possible electorate, the eligible electorate in the state actually is. Is there any hope? Do you have any good news about voting rights in America in 2018? I actually do have good news, and, and I do have some hope. And uh, what, one thing I'm hopeful about is the fact that there are actually going to be ballot initiatives in seven states that would expand voting rights. That would make it easier to register to vote. That would make it harder to gerrymander. That would restore voting rights to ex-felons. The, the most important initiative is in Florida, where that state could restore voting rights to up to 1.4 million ex-felons, because Florida is one of only four states that prevent ex-felons from voting. And this felon disenfranchisement law in Florida prevents one in 10 Floridians from voting. So an absolutely gigantic number of people aren't able to vote in this election in Florida. But if this ballot initiative, which is called Amendment 4, actually passes, that would be a huge expansion of voting rights in this country, the largest expansion of voting rights in Florida since the passage of the Voting Rights Act. And so that is the good news, is that at the time that there's all the suppression going on, there also are initiatives all across the country, and also candidates running all across the country uh, that would expand voting rights. And, and, and so while I'm focused on all the suppression, I'm also looking at the potential good news as well, because this could be a really transformative election for voting rights. Ari Berman, he wrote about how vote suppression could swing the midterms for page one of the New York Times Sunday Review. Thank you, Ari. Thanks so much, John. Great to talk to you. 
You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.